Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. about using that song over and over again for this series is now when you turn on the radio and that song comes on, you'll think about your relationship with Jesus Christ. I've totally ruined the song for you. I think that's a good thing, though. But I hope uh, if you haven't had a chance to be with us during our Don't Stop series, we continue today. You can get all the uh, podcasts of each message online at c2church.com and listen along and catch up if you need to. And uh, you'll certainly understand today's message all on its own. We've really been focusing on what it looks like to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. And it's not to say that you're not. It's simply examining where are you and what's your next step. And we're saying don't stop. Don't stop uh, to become a fully devoted follower. So what does it look like? What's your next step? It's been really fun, you know, watching so many get water baptized this morning. Really, it was their don't stop moment. It was taking their next step for them uh, in declaring uh, not just faith in Jesus. It really is a public declaration of faith and identification with Christ and his church. And so we are, all, we are so excited about all those who did that this morning. Over, uh, I think 47 of you took the 90-day uh, giving challenge of generosity uh, a couple weeks ago, and you've begun to do that, I think, I believe, I don't know, but I'm, I'm hoping you followed through with that. So many of you put the names of loved ones and coworkers and neighbors back on our belief prayer walls. If you look right behind you, you can see all those post-it notes are names of people that we're praying uh, for God to be revealed in their life, that they would take their next step in faith as well. And so our staff and myself and our Wednesday noon prayer uh, group was in here this week praying over those names. I noticed uh, this week all of those names was praying for them as well. So we're praying along with you. I noticed that our invite cards out in the, in the lobby, the little uh, business card size invites to invite people to church, I noticed a bunch of them were missing. So either you're taking them for bookmarks, perhaps you're using them as they're intended to invite people to something that's important in your life, which is C2 Church, and we're so thankful for that. As many of you I've heard, you've been soaping with us. If you weren't here for that message, you have to podcast that one even to understand what I just said. No, SOAP is Scripture Observation Application and Prayer. It's a, a daily application of the, of the Bible reading, and you can follow us at Facebook and uh, get those Scriptures each day. But as we look at becoming a, uh, a fully devoted follower of Jesus, what does that mean? It really means just becoming more like Him. The more I become like Jesus, I'm becoming a fully devoted follower. It's not based on a curve either. I just want to encourage you. Jesus doesn't grade on the curve, Okay? So you can't look at somebody else and say, well, I did better than them. <laughs> Jesus don't operate like that. He ain't your math teacher. Okay? He doesn't grade like that. You stand in full righteousness when you believe in Jesus. But our hearts should be turned to him to become more like him. And it's his spirit, the power of his Holy Spirit in you and me, that makes that process possible. That we would become more and more like Jesus, but we participate in that process. J.D. Greer, the writer of the book Glory Hunger, he, he wrote this. 
He says there is a difference between manufacturing the Christian life and manifesting the life of Christ. Let me say that again. There is a difference between manufacturing the Christian life and manifesting the life of Christ. Manifesting the life of Christ means walking in the disciplines that will subdue my unruly will, right? Because isn't that the heart of the matter? Is that my will, my sin nature, if you will, is rebellious to what God wants. I'm not of my own accord even able in the slightest to please God of my own ability with my good deeds. I hear a lot of people say, well, sin is just doing bad things or doing something wrong. No, it's not. Doing something wrong is just doing something wrong. It's the rebellious nature that I have that that pushes away God's desire for my life. And I say, God, I got this. I got this. I don't need you. That's the sin issue. Sin is not when I, I, I break the vase at my house. So I did something wrong and the vase broke. Is that sin? No. Sin is when I hurt people because I, I care more about myself. And so I must subdue that unruly will and submit it to Christ so that my heart and my mind might be molded in such a way that I reflect His character, His nature, His actions, His reactions, His desires, His thoughts, and His habits. So becoming more like Jesus, we talked about sort of these critical habits or disciplines that we obligate ourselves to. We think of the obligation not as one who is following the rules as much as someone who has a goal and obligates themselves to the discipline it takes to accomplish the goal, right? So if I want to run a marathon, I don't just show up for the marathon and expect to run 26.2 miles. I obligate myself in the months previous to that to the discipline of eating right and running and jogging or walking fast or briskly at some moments, right? You're getting yourself in shape. You're trying to become this picture of what you think you should be. If that picture in your spiritual life isn't Christ, I'm not sure how you're going to accomplish it. And so I look to Scripture to get a picture of who Jesus is, and then I fashion my disciplines so that I might become more like Him. We narrowed these disciplines to these critical ones. Study of Scripture, prayer and fasting, generosity and giving, serving others, and making disciples. Matthew 4.19, Jesus gives His invitation to His disciples. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There's two parts in this. Come follow me, the invitation to all and to any who would follow. This was to be a disciple. And the second part of that is to be fishers of men. Fish for the souls of people. This was to make disciples. And so as we talked last week that being a fully devoted follower means you reproduce in your life fully devoted followers. You make disciples in your life. This is the full circle of discipleship. As we see in the Great Commission, uh, in Matthew 28, 19, in the Christian realm, we refer to that as the Great Commission, kind of the final big command that Jesus gives us before he leaves the earth. What are we to do? He says, therefore, he says, because of who I am and what I've done, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them like we did today, teaching them all I have 
taught you. Teach them to obey those commands. This is the full circle of discipleship. This is what we, as his followers, are to do. And let me say this. I think making disciples and fulfilling the Great Commission are actually pretty simple. Let me give you four ways that I think you might already be doing it. And if you're not, don't stop. Here's four simple ways. I fulfill the Great Commission when I first I pray. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, he, he, the verse actually says in Matthew, it says, he saw the people and he, his heart was broken. He had compassion on them for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he turns to his disciples and he says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Right? The harvest is souls who have not come to hope in Jesus Christ. And the workers are those who would follow after Jesus. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest for more workers to go into the fields. So what's our prayer? Is our prayer simply to be, Lord, send someone else, especially to the kids' ministry in the toddler era. You know, right? Like we're, we're bestowing that privilege on somebody else. Certainly is praying that the Lord will raise up people, missionaries, pastors, businessmen and women who will lead with love and integrity, teachers. And this is, this is our prayer. That each one of us, this church, sitting in your seat, would respond to the Great Commission. So the prayer is not, Lord, raise up somebody else. It's, Lord, here I am. Use me. But don't just use me. Use me up. Use me up. That's my prayer. Lord, don't just use me, but use me up. I don't want to stroll into heaven with energy. I want to slide into heaven all dirty and roughed up and said, I was used up. Every ounce of energy and resource I had for your kingdom, Lord. Not pretty, not dressed in my finest clothes, but used up. Fulfill the Great Commission by praying, by giving. When we give, not just to the local church, but your faith promises of missionaries, we are enabling the church to go about fulfilling the Great Commission together. And can I say thank you? Because of your giving... Ministries like Convoy of Hope, whom we support on a monthly basis, were already in Haiti, in Florida, North Carolina, all along the coast, ready to roll in as soon as the hurricanes had passed through. They were opening up their warehouses. Their semi-trucks were moving. And why didn't we take an offering? Somebody asked me, why didn't we take a special offering? I said, because our people are faithful every month to already give and support great ministries like that. So thank you, church. You further the Great Commission when you give. And when you serve, you fill the great, fulfill the Great Commission. We're going to talk about that specifically this morning. And the final one is you fulfill the Great Commission when you go. When you go somewhere. Somewhere that's different than where you are now. In fact, this morning, our executive director, John Ney, is in the country of Hungary working with one of our missionary partners on the college and high school campuses the last week and a half. They've been sharing the gospel in English conversations and different uh, opportunities they have. That's an act of going. 34 of you went to El Salvador last year, and so many more of you are going to go this next year. That's a prophecy right now. Many of you are going to go. We'll talk about that more next week. We'll talk about that opportunity. But you fulfill the Great Commission when you serve. There's an interesting story in the book of Matthew, chapter 20. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up or turn it on to Matthew chapter 20. Jesus is, has been talking, and, and there's sort of this moment where James and John 
the sons of Zebedee, they're referred to, their mom comes to Jesus. Now, come on, how many of you know when your mom goes to the teacher, ain't nothing good going to happen? Right? So James and John, their mother comes to Jesus. And I like what Jesus' response is, because in, in uh, verse 20, it says, The mother of the Zebedee sons, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Verse 21 says, Jesus, this is like a text message. You can't read tones of voice and attitude into it, but this is how it goes off in my head. What is it you want? Okay, maybe Jesus isn't like that, but in my head, that's how I would respond. And she says to him, grant that each of my sons might sit at your right hand and in your, on your left hand in your kingdom. Because <laughs> they've been fighting at home. And I'm done with it, Jesus. I've had it up to here. Yeah, that's not in there either, but I think that's maybe the motivation. Those two sons have been going at it. I'm greater. No, I'm greater. Well, I'm going to sit at his right hand, the position of power and authority. And you're just going to get his left hand, which is like, you go get my juice box. That kind of thing. <laughs> so she comes to Jesus and says, do me a favor, make my life easy, just tell them where they can sit. This wasn't just about bringing peace, this was about giving position. This was about fame and fortune. The motivation here was all wrong, and I think that's why Jesus addressed it immediately, is what is it you want? But isn't that like most of us, when we come to Jesus, when we come to his church, he's looking at us going, okay, what do you want? It's the wrong attitude, it's the wrong heart, it's the wrong motivation. And so in this story, after being asked, Jesus says, you have no idea what you're asking. No idea. He says, do you think you can drink from the cup that I will drink from? This is a reference to the cup of wrath that Jesus would drink from, metaphorically, when he, is, when he suffers and dies on the cross. He is taking the cup of wrath from you and me in that moment. And he says, do you think your sons can drink from that cup? Then he answers his own question. You know, because Jesus is like that. He can ask his own question and then answer it himself. Right? It's like when your wife says, are you going to wear that this morning? She already knows the answer. (laughs) You're not going to wear that this morning. So Jesus does that. He asks the question and then answers it himself. And he says, you will. In fact, James and John would both become martyrs for the cause of Christ. But then he pulls them aside. Because they, the, all, all of the disciples begin to argue. They were like, who are these dudes? James and John? They're just a bunch of fishermen. They don't know nothing. And they're fighting. So Jesus, again, I think Jesus in his grace says, okay, come here. Bunch of fools. I don't, I don't know if Jesus ever mumbled, but it kind of makes for a better story. And so he brings them in and he says, okay, here's the deal. And he begins to discipline them. He begins to coach them. And here's what he says. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must become your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's interesting that in this moment, Jesus completely flips the script. He takes what culture says, this is what should be happening. This is what you should be going after. And he says, that's not how the kingdom of God operates. It's totally and radically different. So he begins to coach them. 
And they're after fame. They're after, they're after authority and power and honor. They, they want to get what they want. They want to be served because in their mind, this is what people go after. Right? The people that we've raised up in our own culture and we think, oh, those, that's what I need to do. That's who I need to be like and fashion my life after, right? So Jesus says, no, that's not how the kingdom operates. He flips the script. And I love the one sentence, not so with you. Jesus isn't looking backwards. He's actually stating a new reality in this moment. It's the speaking of new life and the new way things would be. Not so with you. From here on out, not so with you. If you want to be great, you will serve. You want to be first, you will be last. In fact, the Greek word is translated into slave. Think those thoughts, right? The worst things you can think from our history lessons. And yet in this context, Jesus is saying, whether it's willingly submitting yourself as a servant or forced to because of slavery, you submit yourselves one to another, looking after the cause of Christ first. For all those who serve in such way are doing it for his name and his honor and will not go without reward. Do you understand that? Isn't that hard? kind of offensive certainly not something I would submit myself to willingly and yet I see the heart of Christ when he says just as the son of man did just as I have done he submitted himself as servant to all but really it was for the will of the father God right Jesus says this is the revolution this is how the kingdom will come not by force of hand but by submission of heart. He gives us a new reality. That even in his church, when his people gather, it wasn't an invitation to come and sit, right? I'm so glad you're sitting where you're sitting this morning, and it's an appropriate time for you to sit right now, so good job. But Jesus' invitation was not to come and sit, it was to come and serve. Whether on a Sunday morning during our gatherings or throughout the week, Or perhaps for your neighbor, the people you work with, or your family. The call to Christ was always to serve. This was the new normal. This was the new reality. He's moving the disciples from I want, right? That's the question. What is it you want? To moving them to I will. I will serve. I will be last. I will put others' needs above my own. Just as the Son of Man did. And listen... He ends it by saying, the son of man who gave his life. Oh, there you go, Jesus, talking about death again. Right, several weeks ago when we talked about the cost of following Jesus is your life. How romantic would it be for most of us to think, oh yeah, if if my life was required of it and someone was holding the gun to my head, I would not deny Christ. And we we have these grandeur thoughts and I think that's great. But the, the odds of most Western American Christians dying for their faith here in the States slim to none. In fact, theologians have differentiated the different types of martyrdom. The red martyrdom would be you actually giving your life like those in the Middle East, Christians who are being slaughtered for their faith. But then they refer to a different martyrdom called the white martyrdom, 
where you give up all the rights and privileges of your life. Not that you can't have stuff, but that you don't claim it as your own and you don't consider it the priority of your life. But all is God's and God in all. And so whatever I do is for Him. I seek to honor Him with my life and therefore I die to myself and my selfish desires and will. It's a white martyrdom. Let me ask you this. Let's move it from come and serve to come and die. Oh, pastor, come on now. Oh, I will. If Jesus says to us by invitation, don't just come and serve, but come and die, what is your response? What decision have you made this week that has cost you something for the cause of Christ? The Apostle Paul, in his writings to the church in Philippi, the book is called Philippians. Lest you think it's just writings to a bunch of people, he was writing to a local church He's writing from prison, so juxtapose that against the seemingly very positive note in which he writes this book. It kind of fries your noodle a little bit because he's writing it in such a way that you think, how could he be writing it from prison? But he is. Okay, I'll keep moving. But Paul is writing to the local church, and this is important because at the beginning of our series, we talked about the necessity of the local church, that this was the gift God gave us as followers, And the New Testament only makes sense if the local church is important. If it's not, the New Testament, for the most part, doesn't make sense. And the writings of Paul certainly don't make sense. We said this a few weeks ago. Church is not something you come to, but it's uh, it's a community you belong in, right? So we were talking about what it looks like to be a member of that community. And we said these things, that this is what a member of of this community would do. I would be a unifying church member. A sacrificial church member, a joyful, a prayerful, a welcoming and inviting church member. Whether you're an actual member of this church or some other church, this is what being a member in the universal church of Christ would look like. And that involvement in his church would be essential to being a fully devoted follower. It's not optional. And most of the New Testament doesn't make sense if there's not a local church. So there are those who I've heard say, well, you know, I'm not all into that church thing, and I don't need to go to church to be a good Christian. And I would agree. It's not even about being a good Christian anyway. It's about being like Christ. But I don't think you can really fulfill the commands of Christ if you don't belong to a community that can hold you accountable and lift you up and encourage you. So when people say to me, oh, I don't have to belong to a church. I don't have to attend church. I don't, I don't have to do any of that. I think, how in the world do you make sense of the New Testament then? Because that's who Paul writes to. See, he writes to the church in Galatia, Philippi, Ephesus, uh, Thessalonica, Corinth. Are, are you getting the picture there? Everything was being applied to a community as well as a personal sense. And so here's his writing to the church in Philippi in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. He's challenging me. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Here it is. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself and looking not to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do you see this new community? I mean, this is radically different than what's going on in the culture that they live in and dare I say, the culture we live in, that we put others above ourselves. I mean, be, beyond just being philanthropic, that we move with compassion 
not just to relieve needs of people, but to deliver them hope in Jesus. That we value people above ourselves. And then he, he concludes by saying, this is how and why. He gives us kind of the resolution of it. In verses 5 through 8, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Yes, even death on a cross. There we go, talking about death again. And the example of Jesus. You cannot get around that thought. I think the question I ask myself in reading this is, is that the attitude I have? And if it's the attitude you have, don't stop. Keep going. But if, like me, you find yourself going, you know, I, I'm not always like that. There are moments, and, and probably maybe more moments of selfishness than self-sacrificing or serving others. So maybe if, like you, or like me, you think that, then perhaps we need something greater than just our own good intentions, right? Because that's usually how I judge myself as well. I, I wanted to do that, right? But perhaps the power of Christ in us can help us move to that next step. Because here's the truth. Serving others. Serving others is a sign that the gospel of Jesus has truly taken root in your heart. That's a sure sign that the gospel of Jesus has taken root, is that you begin to serve others. Your family, your friends, in the local church, outside the local church. Because serving exemplifies the heart of Jesus. And when my heart has turned from myself towards Jesus, that same heart will naturally have the inclination to turn itself towards meeting the needs of others in compassion and love and service. And I'll tell you, there is a great reward for that. In, your, in that, you become more like Jesus. There is the natural reward of joy. I think about those great moments of joy when you've served somebody, Right? Maybe you joined us for our, our uh, community-wide service day called For Columbia. We went to Primrose. We went to a number of different places in the community. And we all talked about, as we were walking away, like, what a great day. I feel like I made a difference. I have such a I mean, you just get that natural high from serving. Why is that? Because that's what you're created to do. And so when you walk in that, the natural reward is a sense of joy. Another reward is relationship. It's the the fellowship that you have with those whom you are serving and serving with. Many times I hear people say to me, Pastor, I just I don't know anybody at church, and I don't know how to build relationships. Okay, so here's the cheat code for this, okay? In, in our church and in any church, serve. Some of you are feverishly writing that down. Serve. I see some of the greatest friendships being formed in our church by people who are serving Christ together. When you serve alongside another believer, you form a bond and you begin to have experiences, shared experiences, right? That's what great relationships are built upon, shared experiences. So when you share them with other believers in the act of service, guess what? Boom, new friends. So jump in. Jump right in. The other reward is discipleship. You grow more like Christ and you help others grow more like Christ. 
I think another reward is the legacy. The legacy you leave behind. That you leave behind a church better than the one you found or came to or grew up in. None of us should ever walk into a church thinking to ourselves, well, I hope it's like the last church. And I hope to leave it like I got it. No. That's not what I was taught in kindergarten. Leave things better than you found it. I want to leave a better church, a stronger church when I leave. By leaving, I mean death, okay? And that doesn't mean you have to kill me to get me out. But we leave behind a culture of serving and giving and contributing rather than consuming. You see, serving others is not about checking boxes for the moment, but impacting lives for eternity. That's why I'm passionate about reaching the next generation. That's why our church puts so much energy and resources into our next generation ministries. Why? Because we know the devil is fighting hard to reach kids at a younger and younger age. And if we don't do it, church, who's going to? You thought that was a rhetorical question. It wasn't. We are. Now, understand, in the seasons of life, serving isn't always, you're not always able to as much as you would want to. I know there are times in your life that it, it's, it's hard to serve at great capacity, but I believe everybody can serve in some capacity. And let me say this. I know there are a lot of single parents in our church who desire to serve. In fact, many of you have found areas of serve that, that help uh, th- or that work alongside the, the tremendous burdens that you carry as a single parent. And can I say to you, thank you, but let me say this to you. We, your church, will serve you. We are committed to helping you, all parents, but especially those who are single parents. We are here for you. Church, wouldn't you agree that our greatest privilege is to serve those in that capacity? That's not a rhetorical question either. You're a quiet bunch this morning. Our greatest pleasure is to serve those around us. I would call it the divine opportunities. The divine opportunities that we can say yes to, whether it's in this church, outside of our church, within your small group. I love the small groups I'm seeing that are developing around serving others. We've got one that comes in on Friday nights into, into this church, and, and they do a lot of small projects, big projects. They paint, they install things. They just, they just do what's needed. I love that. I love seeing small groups who are meeting needs of, of the people within their group. That's an awesome thing. Sometimes I have people come to me and not complaining. We don't have complainers in this church. And if you're a complainer, now you realize we don't have complainers in this church, and so you won't do that anymore. But here's what I, I hear from you, because I, I think it's actually a window into something. I hear people say, Pastor, we don't have this ministry. I think we need this ministry. What do you think about starting this ministry? I think we should have this ministry. And my response usually is, you're right. You should totally start that. (laughs) Oh, pastor, that's not what I meant. I meant you should start all the ministries. That's great. I'm I'm so glad that people think I'm so competent. But here's the window that I see. When you see a ministry that needs to be started in our church, do you think maybe it's the Spirit of God saying to you, this is something you're gifted and passionate about. You should start it. Either I'm not seeing it or... I'm not able to do it. And so I think God might be calling you to do that. 
People don't always like that answer when I tell them that. But can I just say, I empower and release you, the church, to do the ministry that God has called you to do. You don't want me doing everything, trust me. God is calling you. When you see a need, respond to that need. It's not a, well, I'm not, I'm not called to do this or that. When you see a need, respond to a need, whether it's to the least of these. And I would say our kids are the least of these. They need the loving guidance of a church in the next generation. I love seeing people. Each week we have a group of people in our, in our follow-up ministry, in our, part of a ho- our hospitality. They take donuts to guests uh, each week after they visit. And so if you're visiting with us, guess what? I just ruined the surprise. I'm so sorry. But it's good because we're holding accountable. Because here's what I know. We give our team the donuts. I have no idea if they arrive. So we're going to hold them accountable. So you should be expecting some donuts sometime in the next two weeks after your visit. But I love seeing them go door to door. And I love seeing the passion in which they do it. Right? I mean, this, it's a, an awesome thing to be part of. I love seeing people who are doing things behind the scenes. Much of which you will never see. You will only see the product of their work going on behind the scenes. Today, there is a group of volunteers who are serving our college-age students in College Connect. There's a free meal following this service. A little promo right there. But there's a group of committed uh, adults and, and uh, others who are serving you today because they love college students. We love college students. So they're going to serve a free lunch to our college students. It's just finding that place. Can I close with this? Here's how you can take that next step. Find your shape. Pastor, what do you mean? My, what's, what is my shape? <laughs> okay, not that shape. I always say I'm a little round because round is a shape. Um, so I, I'm technically in shape. But here's your shape. It stands for, what are my spiritual gifts? Am, am I, do I have the gift of leadership or, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of leadership, giving, administration, hospitality. What are your spiritual gifts? They're listed uh, in 1 Corinthians. What's your heart? What's your passion? What do you just love doing? Right? What, was it something that you would love to do? What's your ability? What skills do you have? What, what's something you just naturally are good at? What abilities do you have? Right? And what's your personality? Right? So if, if, uh, if you're a, an introvert who doesn't like to talk to people, don't join the greeter team. We're cool with that. Find somewhere where you fit. And if you can't sing a lick but you love music, I would say we'd have to find you another ministry right? I know, like American Idol. But my mom told me I can sing. Your mom loves you, that's why. (laughs) What's your experience? That's the last one. Maybe this is your education or your training. Maybe God has given you an experience, whether it's been tragic or triumphant. What experience do you bring to the table that you can share with somebody else? Maybe that's what God's calling you to. And then you align it with current ministries that we have, or maybe we look at starting something new. On your seat this morning is an interest form. It looks like this. It's real simple. This is meant for those of you who need to take your next step. If you're already serving somewhere, this isn't for you. But some of you are looking for that next step. That's one of the things we constantly hear. Pastor, how can I get involved? What's my next step? This is your next step. Fill this out. And a little later, the buckets are going to come around. You can drop it in. And and Pastor Karis, our discipleship and equipping pastor who helped us with our baptisms this morning, she's going to get in contact with you. We're going to help you narrow it down to where we can get you started. 
If you're going to work with children or or, our most vulnerable, uh, those usually under the age of 18, you will fill out a background check. We will screen you because we will keep our kids safe at all costs, and we aren't ashamed to say that. We will keep our kids secure. So you will go through background check if you serve them. And you all said thank you. You're welcome. We're going to get you to shadow somebody. We're going to get you trained. And then we're going to look to you to bring somebody along in the process with you. And you're going to help somebody get involved. Isn't that great? You see how it goes round and around? That's the culture of serving. Think about it. What if we each gave, on average, two hours a week to this local church, C2 church? Two hours a week. Maybe not every week, but we have some who have adopted what we call the attend one, serve one model. Like you attend second service, but what if, just envision, what if you helped during first service? You came maybe an hour or two early, and you served during that service. Maybe you did that twice a month. So on average, you would, you would be doing two hours a month if you were serving every week or a couple weeks a month. Can you imagine how our pastors would feel appreciated? Appreciated. I mean, we're talking about pastor's appreciation, right? If they had an influx of passionate volunteers, my pastors are not coming to me saying, we have too many volunteers, we don't know what to do with them, right? We've been growing, our kids' ministry continues to grow. You know, we have anywhere from 150 to 190 kids in our kids' ministry every week, and we need more loving, caring adults back there, loving on our kids. Let's experiment. What if you did that two hours on average a week throughout the year? And what if you concentrate on giving on average one hour a week to serving somewhere in our community, your neighbors, people around you? Not all at once. It doesn't have to be an hour a week. What if you did 10 hours in one day? You'd average that out, right? We're just talking averages. Just think about that. Think about the impact we could make. That our church is known for the impact, not just in, in its own realm, but in our city and in mid-Missouri. Can you dream with me? Are, how many are dreamers out there? I'm a dreamer. That's why I have great administra- administrators that work with me. Because I'm a dreamer. So th- what I want you to do this morning, if that's you, if you want to serve, you want to take that next step, fill out this interest card. It's not a sign your name in blood type thing. Pastor Karras is just going to contact you, help you take your next step. I want you to watch this video uh, as you fill out that card, and then the buckets will come around in a little bit. I love my church. As do I. Do you? Yes, I do. Really? Yes. How do you show the church that you love it? Well, I don't think the church isn't it. I think the church consists of people who go there to worship. (laughs) Okay. Why don't you quit avoiding the question? Not avoiding any question. Really? Yes. Really? Okay. Then how do you show the church that you love them? Well, first, that is bad grammar. And second, I give to the church regularly and I invite people to the church. (laughs) You don't love the church. Why do you say that? How do you spell love? L-O-V-E. Wrong! You spell it T-I-M-E because I give my time to the things that I love, all right? But you, oh, Mr. Too Busy to spend some time showing the church that you love it, aren't there. You don't have enough time for God, enough time for the church, so apparently you don't love the church. It's me dropping an imaginary mic. That just happened. Yeah, I see that. If you would have allowed me to finish when I said that I give to the church, I give financially, I give my time, and I've been volunteering in some capacity since I've been a member at the church. Well, well, come back, come back. Why don't you tell us how you volunteer at the church? Well, I'm kind of busy. Busy judging people. Yeah. Uh No, no, I don't mean to. You know how you can volunteer at the church? You can help in the sound department. Hmm? Yeah, you can help the sound guy pick up that imaginary mic right there. 
<laughs> See what I did? Booyah, just drop that mic, pick that one up too. Booyah, just drop that mic too. Booyah, just drop that mic too. Booyah, just We're gonna need more help in the sound department. Booyah. Stop, you're gonna break them. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.